Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, folks. This is Rick Wilson, and welcome to The Daily Beasts, the new abnormal. Hi, I'm Molly Jongfast, a left-wing pundit and an editor-at-large at The Daily Beast. I'm also an editor-at-large at The Daily Beast, a former Republican political strategist, best-selling author, and full-time troublemaker. We're here to have fun, sharp conversations with some of the smartest people in media, politics, and science that help make what's happening in the country and the world clearer. We take the issues seriously. Ourselves, not so much. Our world has been turned upside down. On The New Abnormal, we'll talk about the people who got us into this mess and how we get ourselves out of it. Well, folks, welcome to the very first day of The New Abnormal in a more abnormal era. We are happy to report to you that yesterday there was no last-minute QAnon trusting of the plan, enjoying the show. It all went as smoothly as possible, and with the only with the only deviation from a fairly normal inaugural being the fact that we're in the middle of a pandemic and required a lot of social distancing and we couldn't have crowds of people there. Um, and, of course, that the former president, and I love, love saying former president, the former president, <laughs> ex-president, disgraced ex-president, disgraced former ex-president, Donald John Trump. I like to call him President Non Grata. That I love. George Conway is joining us today, folks, our all-time favorite yes. guest. The only other thing that was a deviation from the from from the COVID era uh, inaugural ceremony was that Stompy Foot von Schittstein had to run away uh, and couldn't, like a man, take the fact that he lost a free and fair election. So since his coup failed and his insurgency failed and his his eight weeks of hokey horseshit fake law uh, excuses failed um he tromped off and went to uh, joint base andrews got on air force one for the very last time in his fucking life <laughs> flew to palm beach <laughs> and left our immediate purview left our site to the tune of my way That's of course right. the tune of his way i would have thought like rat in a cage or loser from beck would have been more appropriate but okay <laughs> but one of the things i truly loved was the minute they landed and and melania was coming down the stairs with donald from the from the plane and he's holding her hand trying to do the like the last minute act they hit the tarmac and she practically sprinted away from him yeah, that, that piece of video, great. that's never going to get old. I could, I had this all this dialogue. A friend of mine called me, and she was, she was imitating. I don't have to do this anymore, Donald. I don't. <laughs> she was, my, my friend was imitating me, and she says, just fuck this. I'm going to Vatabur. I'm going to Vatabur. I've been starving for five fucking years with this animal. <laughs> I want to triple with extra meat and cheese. <laughs> I think he'd take her to Whataburger. I have a feeling. Donald, if you don't behave yourself, I will impeach you again. <laughs> Do you guys think he'll come back for the trial? That's an interesting question because it would be an abject humiliation for him to do that. That's what you have on the one hand. On the other hand, he gets to be the center of attention. So that's that's actually that's right. Those kind are the two competing draws. So it's a very very that's that's a tough call. I, I could see that going either way. Because now that he doesn't have Twitter, it's kind of like he's no longer exists. Years ago, I had a client 
political client who had a who had a dominatrix. As one does. <laughs> as one does, right? Hey, Rick, as a political consultant, is that a good thing or a bad thing for for running for political office? Well, look, I mean, I, it's not that it's good or bad. I'm not judging. I'm not. I'm not kink shaming. But I will say, in his case, it was part of the thrill of it, part of the terror of it, was that she was always taking pictures of him with like the newspapers, like a hostage. Like on oh, this day, Jesus. he knew she. You know, this is proof he was getting his ass beat on you know June fourteenth or whatever. By the way, I just just as a as a, as an aside, some candidates are irredeemable and cannot be saved. Right. <laughs> so now we have Biden has taken over the Oval Office. He is president, and he has discovered that Trump has for the last four years played golf and tweeted. This is shock. Yeah, and that there is no vaccine rollout plan. Yeah, there's no plan and no plan to make a plan and there was never a plan and it was always, well, horseshit. <laughs> right. And everybody checked out. I mean, he checked out. I mean, well, he never he never checked in, frankly, because he said yeah. it was a hope. And then he talked about liberating all these states and, you know, he, he downplayed it and he did, you know, he said it's going to go away. But he really checked out after he was humiliated by him, his talking about Clorox and lighting, you know, sticking lights up people's whatever. And then he really said, I, I don't want to have these news conferences anymore. And then, and then, you know, and they also didn't want to take responsibility for anything, which is why they basically fobbed everything off to the states from the very beginning. Like you and, and that's what happened with the with the vaccine plan. You know, they signed the contracts with the big companies. They didn't apparently sign enough, right? They didn't get enough vaccine from Pfizer. And then they basically just, okay, dump it on the states and see what the states do with it. And, you know, I mean, this is not to, this is not to let some of these states off the hook. But, you know, they, every, everybody's navel-gazing. When, when the federal government doesn't take the lead on, some, on a problem of national significance that requires national focus, you know, you're, you're going to get a lot of people sitting around Naval gazing. I mean, it takes leadership, and there just basically was none. I mean, it was all just a big, lousy TV show with bad ratings. The idea that Operation Warp Speed. And it seems like they spent more time on Warp Speed on the sort of giving companies money part of Warp Speed than the actual distributing the vaccine part of Warp Speed. Which is fine. You have to give the people money, and you give, you incentivize them, and they had an incentive to get it out as quickly as possible. And you know, the, the economics of that worked. I mean, it wasn't, but there's no genius to that. That's just throwing money at the problem. And, and Donald Trump doesn't deserve any special credit for it, which is, even though he seeks it. Any idiot can say to the federal government, throw a billion dollars at a problem. It takes a, a plan and leadership and, you know, those things. And as, as we know that Donald Trump is, is, is famously skilled as a planner, uh, his, his razor sharp, laser-like focus on problems that never varies or, or, or deviates is, is one of his strongest assets. And it's, it's really one of the reasons his presidency will go. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. I was doing crack. Yeah. I feel like you got confused there. So now, yeah, no. Was Mike Liddell with you? Yeah, exactly. So now we have the problem of Biden has about 100 problems. He has 99 problems. And, uh, you know, the president isn't one, but all of the other ones are. Oh, he's he's still no no he's still a problem. Yeah, he's still a problem. This guy's this guy, guys this guy ain't going away. He's gonna find a way to haunt us till our dying fucking days. And just when we think we're safe from him, Jared's gonna walk out in like a silvery lab coat <laughs> and say, "In my spare time, my pursuit of cryonics, quantum physics, 
quantum computing has allowed me to upload Donald to the cloud. He will right. be with us forever oh. and ever Jesus. and ever, replicating, growing. <laughs> it's also true that we can't let him go. I mean, we need to let him go to some extent, and I'm trying to ignore him as much as possible and not say things about him, and I've started tweeting more corgis instead. But we can't let him go because, you know, he's, a, he's basically a criminal. Right, and, and he's also a he, danger. Yeah, and but, you know, I mean, there are issues. There are a whole slew of potential criminal offenses that need to be investigated and potentially prosecuted. And that is a problem for the Justice Department. And in fact, when is this going to air? Tomorrow. Tomorrow night, I may have something coming out I wrote, uh, on that, um, a few thousand words on um, how to deal with Trump um, now that he's left office. When does the impeachment start? It could start by the end of this week. I don't you know right. they haven't really said. She first, the first thing that has to happen is that um, the House managers have to walk the, literally walk the impeachment articles over to the Senate. You know, that ha there, there's a whole set choreographed thing for doing that under the Senate rules. And the Senate has to convene for the purpose of receiving the managers, you know, is like within a certain amount of time after receiving notice that the managers are coming over with a bill of impeachment. And then they have to then they have to basically set the rules for the trial. And that took a while for the last trial. And one of the issues is, and one that's actually confusing me, I wish we had some somebody who knew something about it on the podcast here, but they have to figure out how to conduct legislative business and confirmation hearings at the same time that they hold this trial. Now, I had thought during the first trial that they had conducted morning business and then they started yeah, the that's trial what I thought too. in the afternoon. And I thought that's how they did it. They did legislative business in the morning. But I don't know. Apparently, it's some kind of an issue now about how they do that. And I, frankly, I thought they had already done it. I'm looking forward to the... Uh to the kickoff of it, because the discomfort level that I'm picking up inside Republican circles over the thought that they can't just go out, and they're going to try, by the way, they're going to try. There's already sort of sense that, that that all they have to do is go out and yell, Joe Biden putting us back in the WHO is a road to full communism. <laughs> or the, the fact that we're not, that we're going back in the Paris Accord, it means any minute now they're going to seize the means of production and put us all in the gulag. They're right. afraid that that might that line of bullshit might not quite be as viable as they thought. But the fundamental question is they're going to have to try to preserve their base while trying to win back their corporate donors. Yes, and the corporate donors right now are as nervous as long-tailed cats in a room full of rocket chairs. They are not happy. They are in the tallest of tall grass. And while Steve Scalise and Kevin McCarthy and... Uh, to a lesser degree, Rick Scott in the Senate and a couple of other people in the Senate have been making calls to attempt to get the donor class back on, on side. It's not working yet. And you're seeing right. more and more companies say, if you supported the, the denying the results of the Electoral College, which is, by the way, definitional to saying that you supported disenfranchising tens of millions of African-American voters, they're saying, if you supported that, you're done. We're gone. We can't help you. And they recognize that, that there is a huge corporate cost now to being seen as part of the Jim Crow pro-seditionist side of the political equation. I don't know how that happened. I mean, it's a crazy thought, right, that you, you wouldn't want to associate your brand with, 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 yes. with crazy people who want to burn down the government. How did it happen? I don't know. But they also have a, a problem with a certain significant percentage of reasonably sane Republicans sure. who mm -hmm. may have voted for Trump holding their nose, but who now 
are completely appalled. And there's, you know, it may be 15 or only 20%, but that's, that's, you know, we were only, the Lincoln Project was only shooting at picking off about 5% of the Republican vote. It's very true. And 10 to 20%, 20 basically, you know, if if you shed that, as the Republican Party, the Republican Party fades away into oblivion. They, they, they are really at, in, at between a rock and a hard place here. So they've got that consideration. They have the big donor consideration. And also they have the problem of the distortive gra- gravitational force field that Donald Trump, um, you know, casts over some element of the Republican Party, and they need to stamp it out. And you know that in his heart of hearts, Mitch McConnell wants to do that. He just doesn't want to leave any fingerprints. I think all, they all would love to do that. I think they've all wanted to do that for a long time without leaving fingerprints. The problem is no way to not to leave fingerprints. And this is their last chance. This is really their last chance to do it. And, you know, it's a gamble that the people, you know, they have to gamble that people are going to forget about Donald Trump and, and, and leave disillusioned with him. And, you know, there is some there, there may be some aspect of that that's happening already among the cuckoo, the cuckoo um, uh, division of the Republican Party. I mean, the QAnon people are just uh, are just apparently upset that all of the prophecies have not come true. Right. Uh, and and then you have the Proud Boys. Apparently, I saw some reports saying the Proud Boys, you know, think Donald Trump is a, a P.U.S.S. You know what? For for having given up on 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 trying to destroy the country. My favorite headline today was QAnon in disarray. Which posits the situation that QAnon was ever in any kind of an array. array. Yeah. <laughs> you just didn't understand it because you didn't believe. I know. I didn't trust the plan. My favorite QAnon thing is that they've decided that Biden is actually Trump. Right. The face-off theory. It's beautiful. Yes. That he, that he's actually, or Trump is a shadow president. So just for our audience members who are all very youthful and vigorous, back in the dawn of time, in the 90s, <laughs> I think it was the Tell 90s. Tell me more I'm about the 90s. This was the 90s. Molly, when you were, when you were in middle school. That's um, right. In the 90s, there was a John Woo movie starring Master Thespians, Nicolas Cage, and John Travolta. The title of this film mm-hmm. is Face Off. Mm-hmm. Face Off is a delicious two-plus hours of pure 90s movie cheese. But the nut of the face-off premise is that an advanced surgical technique would allow John Travolta's character to switch places with Nicolas Cage's character. Nicolas Cage is the criminal mastermind. John Travolta as the dedicated FBI agent. So the theory of Q, Q right now, and some sectors of Q, is that the face-off surgery is real and not from a 1990s cheese movie. Right, exactly. Um, and that somehow Joe Biden and Donald Trump have swapped bodies and that the person on the stage yesterday was Donald Trump. It makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? When you think about it, you've got a wall, you know, and I've got yarn going between the pins. <laughs> it's really the only answer that makes sense. Truly. <laughs> what else could it be? I mean, it's just so simple and so obvious. I saw it all along, man. I yeah. saw it all along. <laughs> so clear. There needs to be like a new term that's like Q's razor, which is just to find the most stupid explanation for everything and make let that explain the world. That's what it needs to be. I believe I shall call that Gorka's razor. <laughs> Gorka's razor. Oh my gosh. Mr. Cannon, how dare you besmirch my reputation <laughs> as a gentleman, as a philosopher, and a scholar, for I am Seb Gorka, the dragon of Budapest. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Is it, we're never going to be able to have an episode where he doesn't do a Seb Gorka impersonation, right? 
that's just like the rule. We have fuck that guy and we have Rick doing Seb Gorka impressions. Why don't you get why don't you do ads for the supplement play thing that he did? <laughs> I'm Seb Gorka. And while I rest in my coffin of a, <laughs> from my native land every night, I also consume fish oil in addition to the blood of virgins. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I feel more vital than I have in 1400 years. Jesse, there must be something else we can talk about. Oh no, George, don't join him. Yes, George has joined. Fish pins are the best. Jesse, please take control of this now. Help us. No, Jesse. No, let us play. No, stop. I, I, I would love for us to talk about what you guys think some of the logic might be behind these pardons, aside from just the... How many are there? 140, was it, in the end? 149, I think. I think it was like 142 overnight, and then he, they threw in one for Piero's ex-husband. Oh, that's um, right. <laughs> the next morning, on the, on Mr. Box of Wine. Yes, Judge Box of Wine's husband. So what's the thinking there? I, a couple of things there. First of all, he loves, he loves pardons, because pardons are an, basically an unchecked power of the president. There's, he doesn't have to consult with anyone he, do, he doesn't want to. He, it do, it's not subject to review by the courts. It doesn't require legislative approval. It's just something it, that really is, a, is, is an exercise of pure presidential power that's unchecked. So he loves that. And then, you know, it, it's something he can do to reward friends and you know, and, and that's what he did with it, essentially. I mean, some of them, a lot of you know, there were these people who may have had, you know, unduly long sentences, arguably, and that, you know, his son-in-law and daughter were pushing for. There were others that celebrities were pushing for, and he loves doing things that put him into the same um, league as celebrities who people are on television. So, the, you know, that's why Kim Kardashian had, you know, influence over uh, one pardon, I think, a, wh- a while back. And um, that's really what he, and it's also a way of thumbing his nose at everyone. So, he, And then and then there's the, also the, the, the pardons that really benefit him as well as reward loyalty to him, even if it arguably constitutes obstruction of justice, which it arguably should have in the case of Roger Stone and, and, and poss- possibly Paul Manafort. So that's what he likes about it. And, and I think it is exemplified actually by the um, Piro pardon. I forget his name. Right, cronyism. But, but it's basically, apparently, um, Judge Box of Wine got in his ear saying, you didn't pardon my ex-husband. You didn't pardon my ex-husband. Which is sort of interesting because, you know, he did commit tax fraud. They were joint returns, so she's lucky she didn't get in trouble too. And But he's, you know, and it's a weird thing too because I, I think, he, you know, th- that case was like 20 years ago. Right, but... I think it's fundamentally, I always feel like the underlying issue with Trump and pardons is that he doesn't believe white collar crimes are criminal. Well, I, I, look, I think I think that the, if you ca- if you build a typology of these, yes, Molly, for sure. He thinks white collar crimes are not crimes. They're just the sort of thing that you weren't you, you, you mistakenly got caught. Right. Exactly. That's the one way he shows empathy there. But for the grace of God, go I. Right. OK. <laughs> Jared pushing all these pardons for the rap guys. That is clearly a way to bootstrap his career in hip hop. I get that. I understand it. <laughs> clearly, you know, he's going to be dropping an album remember. later this year. 
Um, he's in studio already. <laughs> the star fucker aspect of it is for sure a big part of it. Look, and there are a few on there, just like when he pardoned Stone a few weeks ago and pardoning Bannon. Oh, some of that is just like, I'm going to own the libs. Fuck you. Right. But it's also like they didn't testify against me, so I want to protect them. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's definitely there, a factor. I mean, there's quid pro quo. That's the Stone case. He basically was saying to Stone, essentially, publicly, stay strong, stay strong. And the question was whether, you know, Stone was in a, a position, as it's made clear by the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence report that came out in August that really got relatively little press. But Stone, I mean, you know, the, that, the Senate committee, the Republican-controlled Senate committee, concluded that Trump may have committed perjury in denying, recalling any conversations with anyone about WikiLeaks. And there's evidence, you know, there was contrary evidence that the, that the Senate committee found. And the one person who could have testified about that against Trump was Roger Stone. And lo and behold, he, you know, got, he got a commutation and, and a pardon. So that's kind of instruction-y. I mean, I, but I, but I do think fundamentally Trump doesn't, give a shit about these crimes. So it's easy to pardon 142 people if you don't think crimes are crimes. Right, and he's a psychopath. And he- it, it also explains why Julian Assange and Joe Exotic didn't get them. Right. Joe Exotic had a limousine waiting outside of his jail cell. Like, talk about over, you know, counting your chickens before they can't hatch. I just want to say to Joe Exotic, you believed a Trump? <laughs> are you are you are you kidding me with this shit? You thought there was something happening for you with the Trump? The check is in the mail, Trump family. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> so, so, so speaking of uh, believing a Trump, he also lifted the lobbying ban for his people. What do we make of that? Which Biden promptly reinserted. Right. Does that even make any difference? It doesn't. And you know what it is. He, that was, well, I heard that that was from Mark Meadows, that Mark Meadows wants to go out into the private sector right away, and he thought that would destroy him financially, and Trump was amenable to that. That's something I picked up yesterday. But he didn't realize that Biden could reinstate it? Mark Meadows is not terribly bright, as we have noticed. Well, that's what Michael Cohen said. I mean, Mark Meadows poking a toaster with a fork would not be off-brand at all. A, a live toaster with a fork would not be off-brand at all. I don't understand it. Look, I, I think there's a degree to which... The last flurry of executive orders and pardons, they are all just a shitty coda to a shitty presidency. They're just a final, it's a final fuck you to normalcy and decency and law. And, you know, and ironically for the party of law and order, you know, this president will go down as the most corrupt and lawless president, including Nixon in the last century. I keep going back to this, you know, George, maybe, maybe you have some thoughts on this. Nixon's crimes were all about political gain. They weren't about personal. Nixon wasn't trying to get rich off of, of Watergate. That, that wasn't about, he was never about the money uh, at that point. I think that's fair. And, you know, what he did was basically he found out about the Watergate break-in. These people were doing all sorts of stuff that he didn't fully understand or know about. And then they started trying to figure out how to cover it up. And he played along with it. And he wasn't the instigator in that sense, although he obviously bears responsibility for having overseen the culture under which all of this illegality, the plumbers and, the, and the, you know, the break into Ellsberg office, all these things that they were doing illicitly. Now, it, it, it was his mentality and, and his attitude toward things that allowed that to flourish, even if he didn't know about all of it. Right. And right. then when they covered it all up, 
And they said they had to get money for some of the burglars. You know, he he said, well, I know where that I know where that can be gotten. I know where you can get the money. And then you know, he went along with the cover up and have Haldeman have, have Haldeman call our friend. Right. And oh, well, we'll just have this. We'll just have the CIA tell oh, the DOJ. Well, we've hit the Nixon okay. impersonation. You know, we, we shouldn't touch this because it, it might dig up things from the bear pigs. You know, <laughs> you know still going along with that. And that was his participation in the obstruction of justice. He kind mm-hmm. of, you know, he wasn't the driving force. Whereas if you read, for example, the Mueller report, volume two, right. which goes through the obstruction that Trump committed, he was the driving force. He was the one telling his, trying to get his, for example, his his White House counsel to issue a false to say something to the to Rosenstein to fire Mueller and obstruct the investigation, and then tried to get after it came out that he had done that, he tried to get began to write a false memo to the file saying the president never told me to do that. And McGahn almost resigned at that point. He was the I mean, he was like a one man show there, and people were trying to get out of the way or avoid doing what he asked them to do. And that's a that's a big difference um, between Nixon and Trump. But the other big difference is just the, the breadth of the criminality. I mean, you have Mueller, you have Ukraine, where he's basically trying to use the power of the purse over foreign aid to destroy a mm-hmm. presidential candidate um, who he thinks is going to be the most the strongest candidate against him in the general election, which he was correct about. And then, of course, there are the, you know, the, the calls, the self-serving calls to the to election officials, which were, perfect calls. Are, you know, I think perfect. they were illegal at mm-hmm. federal law and then inciting the insurrection. And then you have all of this, you know, long history of what the DA in Manhattan is investigating, um, that potential, potential bank insurance fraud, inflating the value of properties on business financials and then understating them to tax authorities. And, you know, it's just with Trump, it just doesn't end. I mean, there's always a scam going on with Trump. There really is. There really always is. There's always a grift. There's always a scam. There's always a play. And frankly, I think it's ironic. I think it's ironic. You know, he raised about $200 million saying that he needed money to stop the steal. And, you know, you couldn't spend $200 million on lawyers. Even IBM didn't spend that when it litigated against the U.S. government for 20 years. You you couldn't spend that money in one lifetime. And he raised $200 million. And the irony is then he pardons Bannon for raising money on false, from for his charge, for raising money on false pretenses. I, I, just, I just can't get over that irony. He didn't pardon Ken Paxton. It's almost more interesting who he didn't pardon, right? He didn't pardon all the people who were sucking up to him for pardons. So, so we'd be remiss to not discuss the big speech yesterday. What did you guys think? I thought it was the best speech I'd ever heard, actually. And I'm not just saying that. I, I, I thought it was, I, I, as a speechwriter, I thought it was so perfectly crafted for the moment and was so honest to Joe Biden's personal character and who he is as a man um, that that is a rare thing. Look, many performers can go out and read a great speech and it's, it's great it's convincing it's you know it's 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 persuasive but when the speech meets the moment and the man at the same time you get something much bigger and you know i am not driven to a ton of of, of emotional excesses i was boohooing during parts of that speech because i was like thank god somebody who can write 
and a guy who believes what he's saying and it's real and and this is you know this is necessary for our country to do i mean it's so true i mean if you go through political speeches generally and presidential speeches in particular and then inaugural speeches the subset of inaugural speeches you get a lot of highfalutin soaring language about democracy and unity and you know it just seems like it almost seems like boilerplate but this moment was a very very special moment where it was much more poignant just because of the moment and he was exactly the right person at that moment to be delivering those words and as you say it was written in a manner that really was joe biden it really spoke the way he speaks and it was it was just pitch perfect he's actually a pretty good speaker and then the expectations are quite low too well it's funny because the the trump people were so dumb in the way they dealt with him right you want to raise expectations not lower them and they were just saying he couldn't read either. He couldn't, you know, he, he, he couldn't read anything. He, he would just screw it all up. I mean, there were basically only maybe maybe one or two small stumbles in his delivery yesterday. Right. And they were almost imperceptible if you had to listen carefully. I mean, I think he's quite a good speaker. And for, you know, the last two years, we've been told that he's a terrible speaker. So when he gets up there and he's quite good, it's like he's really, I mean, it just helps him so much. So I think they have, Trump really set him up in that way. Yeah, the constant repetition of Joe Biden, his dementia. He can barely move, much less speak, much less understand the world around him. And then when he comes out and he's not, you know, they should have had a preview of this during the debates, but they couldn't cognitively pull themselves out of the fact that Trump needs to be, you know, he needs to be constantly fellated. And so people were just going to say, yeah, whatever the boss says is what we're going to say about Biden. No, it's interesting. And I mean, he did the same thing with Hillary, too. Remember Hillary's health? Mm -hmm. It worked for him with Hillary for whatever reason, but it doesn't, but it's so clearly when it doesn't work, it so doesn't work. Right. Right. When it's broken, it's broken. But I did think he was good. And I thought when he got out of the out of the beast and started running to the White House, that was extremely cinematic and quite, you know, a crowd moment, which and I thought it was good. And and the truth is, people, the one thing that Trump did well, I think, was that he did these sort of moments that kind of looked good on television and Democrats tend not to do that because they sort of think of themselves as like smarter than that and they shouldn't be. Yeah, I, I can't phrase it better, Molly. I, I, uh, yeah, correct. Yeah, but I, I think these the people in the White House now are very smart about all that stuff. I mean, I, I heard things the other day. They're going to basically go back to, you know, the old Reagan technique of focusing on an issue a day. Just one thing a day and hammer on that theme all day. And they're not going to have some guy tweeting bullshit to undercut it all. I mean, you could actually Mm -hmm. have an infrastructure week if you actually wanted to with these people. And I think they do a good job of it. Yeah, there's definitely a case for, you know, world leaders not being on Twitter for planning and organization and doing the things that government is supposed to do. There's a case for that. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. 
If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, there's something I've really been needing to get off of my chest lately, which is that everyone and their mother should listen to the Andre 3000 album because it lifts my spirits on a regular basis, 1000%. We all carry around different problems, big and small. And let's be honest, when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. That's where therapy comes in. It's like this safe space where you can unload all those burdens and start figuring out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Therapy can make a difference. I know this from firsthand experience. And it's not just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for anyone who wants to improve their mental well-being. Therapy can help you learn coping skills. It can teach you how to set better boundaries. And it can make you be a better version of yourself. If you're considering therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online, which means it's convenient, flexible, and fits into your schedule seamlessly. Plus, getting started is as easy as filling out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And the best part, you can switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. So why wait? Take that first step towards a happier, healthier you with BetterHelp. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash the new abnormal today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash the new abnormal. Hey folks, if you haven't heard, every single week we do a special bonus episode for Beast Inside, the Daily Beast membership program. Sometimes we interview senators like Cory Booker or the folks who explain what's happening behind the scenes in media like Jim Acosta or Soledad O'Brien. Sometimes we just have fun and talk to our favorite comedians and actors like Busy Phillips or Billy Eichner. And sometimes it's just Molly and I shooting the shit. You can get all of our episodes in your favorite podcast app of choice by becoming a Beast Inside member, where you'll support the Beast's fearless journalism, as well as getting full access to podcasts and articles. To become a member, head to newabnormal.thedailybeast.com. That's newabnormal.thedailybeast.com. Jackie Kucinich is the Washington Bureau Chief of the Daily Beast, and today she's going to come and talk to us about what the hell is going on in Congress, because we sure don't understand what is. What is it like? I mean, we've gone from like this weird Trumpism to all of a sudden we have Democrats controlling the House, the Senate, the presidency. I mean, is it very different? Does it feel very different? No, it doesn't quite yet. I mean, in terms of the fact that, you know, you have President Biden even talking about the coronavirus and response, you know, at least twice uh, in the last 24 hours. Yeah, it's a, it's a really big deal. And that, 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 is, that is different. However, uh, in terms of on the Hill, not quite yet. And there's a reason for that. Uh, so right now, Mitch McConnell, who is now the minority leader, 
and Chuck Schumer, who is now the majority leader, are at an impasse about the rules that are organizing the Senate. Um, and right. that has the power with, sharing. Yes, power sharing. Exactly. And as a part of that, one of the things Mitch McConnell is trying to get Chuck Schumer to do is to essentially put in this organizing resolution, which is the, you know, termed for it. Uh, they're trying to get a provision in there to say they're not going to go after the filibuster and that right. will remain intact, which is, of course, like the 60 vote threshold that makes the Senate less like the House <laughs> when, you, <laughs> when you just boil it down. <laughs> and people who like the filibuster say it encourages bipartisanship and people who don't like it say that it you know makes it impossible for things to get done. So uh, just again, there are lots of more nuance there, but just boiling it down. And Schumer's not willing to do that. And I think it's for lots of reasons. Um, first of all, he's in charge now. And uh, he doesn't want to give McConnell. McConnell's been in charge, you know, for a number of years, and Chuck Schumer wants it to make sure that, you know, this is this is his this is his show, right? And they don't want to give them that. Now he said that there really isn't any interest in getting rid of the filibuster, despite pressure to do so. Uh, but McConnell wants that assurance in this package. Doesn't sound like that's going to happen, or at least Schumer said he's put his foot down. I do wonder if it, there is some kind of verbal agreement or something like that that ends up shaking this loose, because right now they can't even organize committees. Right now there are still more Republicans than Democrats on committees that Democrats control. It's very strange. So this is very strange limbo. Biden nominees are in committees right now being interviewed. Right. They're getting the right. Like uh, Pete Buttigieg was today. And so his nominees are right now being vetted and sent to the Senate floor for a vote. So, and they're trying to get cabinet pulled out. So that also is complicated by the fact that this uh, organizing resolution is not yet agreed upon. Now, they're they're expected to continue meeting on this. We don't know when it's actually going to um, come out, but um, eventually, what it's going to look like they're they're trying to use the rules that were used in 2001, the last time you had this 50-50 split in the right. Senate. Um, and yeah, and so what that meant was they were, they were split in half in even number of senators. And if there's a stalemate, if you have, you know, eight Democrats and eight Republicans voting 50 50 on that committee, whatever they were debating on will go to the floor anyway. So nothing will die in committee if there is no majority and the majority is, is in favor of it. Does that make sense? So nothing's going to be, um, nothing's going to to die. You won't have Mitch McConnell's legislative graveyard anymore. I mean, it's still going to be really hard to govern. Right. This is razor thin, as thin as it gets, which is one of the reasons that there is some hesitance to get rid of a filibuster among some Democrats, because this could easily swing back to Republicans. It is not beyond the realm of possibility, right? So there are sometimes with um, when parties go in the majority, there is sometimes an impulse to try to, you know, get all this stuff, change the rules and get as much stuff done as possible. But there are consequences to that. I mean, will Chuck Schumer have to cave or can they work something out that they'll both like? Again, one of the things that I know has been floated, and I don't know how seriously at this point, because everything is massively fluid, Right, is that, you know, perhaps, um, and this isn't coming from Schumer's people <laughs> or anything, but perhaps, you know, Schumer might seek to just say it on the Senate floor. There would be some kind of verbal agreement to not, not go after the filibuster. And, I mean, these are both institutionalists. 
I don't think Chuck Schumer really wants to get rid of the, of the filibuster. And so that might suffice, but we'll have to see. But this is going to, they're, they're going to have to do something to shake this loose. But it seemed, it, it, Democrats were pretty dug in against not putting this in the rules. But didn't Biden say that he wasn't going to get rid of the filibuster? It's not his call, though, right? <laughs> right. So you think, though, they're going to sort of figure it out and they'll have the committees? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're going to, they're, they, eventually, they're going to have to do this. Um, and it just, it just depends on how far McConnell is going to push it. It won't remain like this forever. Um, and But based on the... I guess, field and how things look right now, Democrats are pretty dug in that they were not going to give McConnell uh, this, you know, right out of the gate. Do you think that McConnell is feeling the pressure of this cor- this corporate money issue with the senators who vote, who, you know, the six Republican senators who supported this addition? You know, he's been very close to vest with the whole, you're talking about impeachment? Yeah. Well, I'm talking about, you know, that after those six senators voted to not accept the election results at the end, the, you know, the Ted Cruz types, that there was, some, you know, there's been some like blowback from corporate money. And I'm just curious to know what, if you're seeing any kind of evidence of McConnell ha- feeling pressured in one way or the other. I mean, he has to walk this line between the MAGA base and the corporate dollars. So I'm curious to know if you see that. I don't know the answer to that yet, Molly, because, um, yeah, because, well, I mean, so, and I'll I'll tell you why. There is concern among Republicans. I don't know if McConnell specifically, I I can't imagine he's not concerned. I mean, he has to defend these people, but um, there is concern among Republicans um, who, you know, want to see Republican senators get reelected that this money isn't going to be there. Now, the big question is, is how, how much these companies hold out? Because some of them are just like reassessing or right. they're not going to give money the first quarter of a non-election year. Right. And, it and it does. I mean, yes, there are lots of fundraisers scheduled, of course, um, and they start raising money like instantly. But the fact that it's the first quarter of not an election year, I, that, I, that can be made up. Right. So it could mean nothing. It could mean, I mean, they could just be CYAing at this point because they, the easiest thing for a company to do right now to avoid scrutiny from the public and the media is to say, oh, you know what? We're reassessing. We're going to come back to you after the first quarter. So that takes the heat off of them until April. So I'd be curious, you know, come March, whether that pressure starts to manifest itself somehow. Right. That makes sense. What do you think is going to be the first thing that they're going to pass when they get things going. Do you have a sense on that after the cabinet gets through? So I know I, I can tell you the priorities for Democrats is COVID relief. Right. What form that takes, I think is, uh, you know, the, the, the House, uh, Nancy Pelosi said today that they're going to be working on that bill. The HEROES Act? Yes, I believe so. All next week, getting that stimulus bill ready. But that's still going to take, take time to work its way through the process. But that, that is, I know, the number one priority for members, which is another reason why this impeachment situation is such a conundrum for Democrats in the Senate because everything ceases, right? You can't, including Biden's nominees. I thought you could do impeachment in the afternoon or now. I don't think that's been hammered out yet. Okay. That's something they discussed, but, um, you know, this could be problematic. Right. It slows everything down. Do you think that uh, there are any of Biden's cabinet appointees that are really going to get stuck? And not go through, get through. Well, now that they have the the House and the Senate, 
um, excuse me, now that he has the, the Senate, is the Democratic Senate, uh, I, I don't think you're going to have as many problems as you may have before. But we'll have to see. I haven't, I haven't heard any noise about any particular nominees um, on the Democratic side since the Senate flipped. And you also forgive me because of everything that's happened since Georgia, uh, right. that the riots happened like the next day. <laughs> right. I honestly haven't asked around about every single nominee, but um, in you know that the whole concept of a Democratic Senate is just relatively new. Frankly. Right. It's true. <laughs> it seems like it's kind of amazingly. It's just a big change. I, I think even in the Senate, it's a big change, and people are still wrapping their brains around it because it it just it was it was not expected. No one expected. I mean, they, people would say, "Oh, I knew," but no one expected to win both of those races. <laughs> so, so, um, and and that also is sort of you know making things run a little slower and not firing at all cylinders as maybe it would have, you know, say Democrats took control right after the 2020 election. That did not happen, even though a lot of people thought it would. Do you think that when they have worked out this power sharing arrangement, they'll have sort of slightly less power than the Republicans had before? Right. Right. And well, and it, it's it, the power shift is going to be so interesting um, because you know, all of a sudden your Joe Manchin's, your Christian Cinema. Senator Kelly, brand new yeah. senator, um, you know, the senators from Georgia um, are going to, and, you know, still Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, these are going to be the most, the, these, these swing votes. And we don't, we don't know with Osap and Warnock yet where they're going to fall in terms of like what their voting record is going to look like. But particularly your mansions and your cinemas, they're going to be the most important people. And we're all going to be watching them and where their votes go on all of these measures. I mean, Manchin, uh, on the onset with the with the with, with two thousand uh, dollars, yeah, and he, he kind of indicated he, he needed to see the details, right? So they're going to end, you know, that Murkowski had already been reached out to by the Biden administration as they're working through it. So those are still going to end up. I mean, as much as things change, things stay the same, particularly in the U.S. Senate. And the the moderates again are going to be the votes that really, really move things. Oh, that's so interesting. I hate to base questions off of the texts I receive uh, all through the night, but uh, all my friends seem to be saying, what the hell is holding Nancy Pelosi up? And my guess was like that they want to just have the Biden administration have some wins. But do you have any explanation for why she can't walk this impeachment bill over to the Senate? Remember, the last impeachment, she held on to the articles for a couple of weeks while Democrats got their strategies together for the, the <laughs> impeachment round one. So with with this one, um, it, it, it's she said today that they were that, that the House was ready, and they were kind of waiting for the Senate to work things out. Um, and until today, <laughs> this is uh, another wrinkle here. Until today, Donald Trump didn't have a lawyer. Uh, <laughs> oh, did he get a lawyer? <laughs> it's a, it's he got a lawyer. <laughs> Wait, who is this lawyer? It, it's no one. It's no one you've heard of before. Um, his name is Butch Bowers. He's a South Carolina. Oh, Jesus. Uh, apparently, yeah. And apparently he's good at his job. <laughs> yeah, so that, that was one of the things holding it up, believe it or not, is that he didn't have representation. So now that the former president has representation, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we could see this move forward. I think um, the idea that this was going to start the day of Biden's inauguration just wasn't realistic. Right. I saw that being pushed like right after they passed it. It just didn't, it didn't seem right. But once, um, as you guys know, once she walks across, so let's say 
it, as soon as tomorrow. So they walk it across tomorrow. Assuming the Senate is out this weekend, they would have to take it up on Monday. So there is a lot of planning um, that goes into this. And that that's, it, it seems like there are just a lot of moving pieces still going on. I don't mean to be opaque, but uh, it, 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 just, it seems like there's a lot of, uh, on, on several sides, um, things getting finalized and put into place. It's such an strange, wacky world. Thank you so much for coming on. This was so interesting and helpful. I hope this was informative because it's just, there's just so much that's like, ah, you know, folks, today, as always, and as I tell you many, many times, as required by federal, state, local law and international treaty, we have one mandatory segment on the show, and that segment is Fuck That Guy. George Conway, though a brilliant attorney, suggested we skip that, and I just don't want to face the wrath of not only our listeners, but law enforcement around the world. Interpol would be up my ass in about 35 seconds if we didn't do a Fuck That Guy. I'm just feeling so magnanimous. I, I don't know I can do it today. I, I hear it in your voice, George, and I salute it. I, I do. I, I, I salute it. It's, it's, it makes it makes my heart almost human-sized for a second to think about <laughs> coming together. Does that count as unity? Yeah, well, yes. You know what? In the spirit of unity, I believe I'm going to lead off. My fuck that guy for today is Fox News. You, Rupert, and you, Lachlan, it's Fox News. Fuck that guy. Tell us why. They spent last night, okay, during the inauguration yesterday and during the night last night, their coverage immediately went to Full communism is coming. Joe Biden's socialist army is sweeping the country like rabid locusts. Can locusts be rabid? No. Like locusts preparing to tear apart your communities, force you into Sharia gay marriage. It's all over. Antifa has a cabinet office now. What will you do, America? Live in fear! Fuck that guy. (laughs) This is so performative and it's so cheesy and it's so shallow. You know, Tucker Carlson last night glaring at the screen with his squint. With, with a Cairo that says, there's a lot we don't know about Joe Biden. A what? He's from Delaware. <laughs> that he goes by the name, <laughs> that it, he goes by the name Abu Joe and he runs around the country blowing shit up. No, sorry, Tucker. But these, the, 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 the idea that we're going to have any kind of unity from Fox, remember 24 hours before that, all the Fox were saying, we've got to have unity. If we, if we impeach Trump, there will be no unity. Oh my God, there's no unity. If we don't, well, immediately, at 11.47 a.m. to yesterday at morning, it was Joe Biden, full communism. He's worse than Lenin, Stalin, yeah. Pol Pot, Hitler, <laughs> all put together. So anyway, fuck that guy, Fox. Just to add to your fuck that guy for a minute, what Fox has done now, which is fire basically whatever was left of the quote-unquote news side, which was very opinion-y anyway, means that now Fox has gone sort of full OAN, Right. They've become sort of new, you know, big Newsmax. And so they're going to be worse. They're going to ultimately be, you know, they're not even going to have the sort of supposition of news. There's not even going to be the pretense. And so I do think that they really deserve to have a large and elaborate fuck that guy this week because Rupert Murdoch and Lachlan Murdoch have made the choice that the truth is just of no interest to them and they're going to double down on this, even though they know that this leads to autocracy and fascism, because we've seen it already. So fuck you both, Rupert and Lachlan Murdoch. All right. So in in the interest of unity, I'm going to agree with you. And I, I do think that Fox News is a stain on American democracy and on the media. It's just, I mean, we have seen where disinformation 
leads us. We have seen it. It leads to, uh, you know, basically a large segment of the population being believing what they want to believe and then consuming more of what they want to consume that, you know, and allowing them to engage in self-delusion. And part of that vicious cycle is basically bad actors doing this for profit, you know, selling people what they want to buy, except that it's poison and it's poison for our society, it's poison for our democracy. And that's the really difficult thing we have to deal with going forward because we do have, you know, freedom of speech and that has to be preserved and you can't, you know, we preserving freedom of speech requires, you know, laying off even speech that is, you believe to be untrue because who's the final arbiter of truth. And the only way you can fight it is by fighting it with the truth, um, you know, out there and persuading and shaming those people who spread lies, um, persuading them and shaming them into not spreading lies. And that's the only way we can achieve, you know, a better place where we have a common set of facts, even if we have different opinions about those facts. And that's why I think, you know, calling out Fox News is, is, is the right thing to do. On that note, we'll wrap up this episode of The New Abnormal from The Daily Beast. In future episodes, we'll be talking with smart folks in The Daily Beast and beyond from media, culture, politics, and science who will help us understand what's happening to our country and the world. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and share the show on social media. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Molly Jongfast, and he's at the Rick Wilson. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again on the next episode. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.